Welcome to No Compromise, where faith and reason fuse in conversation. Hello, Johnny. Hello, my love. Hello, everyone. So let's see. I guess the only announcement we have this week is your new book, Paradise Lost, The Machinery of Evil. You want to say anything about that? Well, we've sold one. (laughs) <laughs> I think in the intervening time since we last talked. Yep. <laughs> um, so we're not exactly setting the world on fire, but hopefully this will catch on. People will find some value in what we've done mm-hmm. and maybe we'll make a difference in this very dark world. Yeah. Yeah. And what's it about, Johnny? Well, Paradise Lost, the machinery of evil is all about the nature of evil in the modern world, Mm -hmm. really, as presented in Paradise Lost, Milton's great epic poem. Mm -hmm. You use that as the backdrop. It's interesting because right now, I think a lot of people are questioning the nature of evil. Well, not just that, but wanting to know what the heck's going going on. on. Yeah. Yeah. In this world. Because we've always been told there is no such thing as evil. Right. You know? Yeah. The modern sensibility has pretty much dismissed the notion of evil altogether. And so now we have this, the recent news stories and people are confused. So you you do a very good job with this, explaining what evil is, where it came from, and and you use it with, you know, like I said, the backdrop is the the poem Paradise Lost. Right. Yeah, I hope Mm -hmm. that this can serve as a primer for the nature of evil in the modern world, because the nature of evil has never changed. Exactly. It is always the same. Its modus operandi is always the same. Right. And when we look at the world today, it is alive and vibrant. And unless we look at it with open eyes, we're not going to see what it is and what it can do. Right. And be able to counter it. And and look at it with belief. Yeah. (laughs) We have to believe in it. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. In order to, to counter it. Evil exists is one of evil's most profound what? Strategies <laughs> to to deny its own existence. Yeah. Is one of the great strategies it has right. to continue to succeed in the present world. Yeah, exactly. And it's certainly doing that. Right. And so if you if you're interested in reading the book, it's on Amazon. You can you can click on the link in the description or if the link's not there, I'm not sure. But if you can also search by John Wise Paradise Lost. Um, if you don't machinery put machinery of evil, yeah, well, you can just put Paradise Lost too with John Wise. As long as you put John Wise, because there's a million Paradise Lost on on Amazon. <laughs> of course, I always choose the title that has a million <laughs> other references. <laughs> okay, so today we're going to skip forward through the Everlasting Man book. I mean, we've we've done the introduction, we've done chapter one, two, and three. So this week we're going to go straight to the end, and and we're going to talk about the conclusion. And vitally here, as we've been doing these no compromises, yeah, it's like when I got to the end of reading this for our Simple Gifts podcast, I read the conclusion and I said to myself, we should read the conclusion before we read yeah. anything else yeah. in this book <laughs> because it really sets the tone for everything that follows. Right. And if you want to understand what's going on in the Everlasting Man by G.K. Chesterton. Mm-hmm. You should first read 
the conclusion. Yeah. Which sets forth the broad outline of everything that occurs in the book. Yeah, otherwise I'm not sure if people understand what's going on, right? Right. It's kind and of confusing. I, I wish that somehow or other we could have put this as the first yeah. episode in the Simple Gifts podcast. Right. Yeah. To let people know what's going on in this book. Yeah. What is it that Chesterton is trying to do? Yeah. yeah he makes yeah. it clear here in the conclusion more than anywhere else. Right. Right. Okay. So if you would like to also listen to John reading the entire book, The Everlasting Man by G.K. Chesterton, that link should be in the description too. It's He Read It Without Commentary for our YouTube channel. Okay. And I think there's also going to be a link for you to read the book yourself on Project Gutenberg. So that link should be there too. If you're interested, you can read it for free. Right. Okay. So like I said, we already discussed the first few chapters of this book, chapter one, two, and three. And if you're interested, you can check that out too. All right. So let's get right to the book. This is the summary of this book. That's what he calls it, right? Right. The conclusion. Conclusion, the summary of this book. Right. And he begins his conclusion by kind of critiquing H.G. Wells's history of the world, which he did also in the first few chapters too of the book. And it boils down to the following statement. Chesterton says, I think the proportions are wrong. The proportions of what is certain as compared with what is uncertain, of what played a great part as compared with what played a smaller part, of what is ordinary and what is extraordinary, of what really lies level with an average and what stands out as an exception. I think, don't you think, I mean, that's how he begins this conclusion. Right. He actually starts with these words. I have taken the liberty once or twice of borrowing the excellent phrase about an outline of history. Yeah, yeah. And this is absolutely critical Mm -hmm. because H.G. Wells is claiming to present an outline of history. And Chesterton says, for the story of the world as told by Mr. Wells could here only be criticized as an outline. Yeah. And strangely enough, it seems to me that it is only wrong as an outline. Yeah. It is admirable. In other words, he's saying there's a great deal of value in what H.G. Wells has to say about yeah. history. It is admirable as an accumulation of history. It is splendid as a storehouse or treasury of history. It is a fascinating disquisition on history. Mm -hmm. It is most attractive as an amplification of history. Yeah. But it is quite false. Yeah. As an outline of history. The one thing that seems to me quite wrong about it Mm -hmm. is the outline. Yeah. The sort of outline that can really be a single line. Yeah. In simple and homely language. I mean, the things that stick out, the things that make the simplicity of a silhouette. So the point is here. Yeah. We want to present a simplification of history Mm -hmm. because when you're making the outline, you're presenting the barest basic notions of what it is that makes the thing what it is. The skeleton. Right, the skeleton. The very structure. The caricature. Mm -hmm. And he uses here the distinction between the single line that you would draw around the figure 
of Sir Winston Churchill mm -hmm. versus the single line you would draw as a caricature of someone else. Right. And that's the idea here. What is it about history that is presenting a single line yeah. that can help us understand the broad structure of what human history consists right, of? Right, right, right. Okay, so basically this book about history of man ended up not being a history of man, really. And and Chesterton says, I do believe that the things on which I have insisted are more essential to an outline of history than the things which I have subordinated or dismissed. Then he goes on to say later, I will therefore sum up all that has gone before in what seems to me a realistic and reasonably proportioned statement, the short story of mankind. And that uh -huh. is what this chapter yeah. is all about. Yeah, yeah. The short story of mankind. Right, right. <laughs> and earlier in this paragraph, he says that he himself feels that he has failed to do that in this book. Yeah. And I understand that. Mm -hmm. That feeling. Because I feel that on almost every episode yeah. of The Christian Atheist that I write. It's like I have in mind this rather simple idea that I want to convey. Mm -hmm. And I get to the end of The Christian Atheist. After I've said all of these words, 15, 20 minutes worth of speeches. Of great swelling words. Right. And <laughs> I say to myself, did I really say what I wanted to yeah, say? Yeah. And yeah. I think that's exactly what Chesterton felt at the end of this book. Yeah. And he says at the beginning of this paragraph, too, that he feels as though he has failed in what he set out to do yeah. in this book. Yeah. And then he says, for that reason... I add these lines, this conclusion, mm -hmm. as a sort of summary in yeah. a concluding chapter. In short, and this I think is the most important thing to be taken from this second paragraph. Okay. I do not believe that the best way to produce an outline yeah. of history is to rub out the lines. Mm -hmm. This, this is me commenting now. Yeah, that's okay. This is the modern mania. Yeah. I mean, the modern in the sense of times that we live in today. Yeah. To rub out the lines, mm -hmm. to destroy the distinctions, to tear down the borders. And this is exactly what we are dealing with in the political situation in America today. Yeah. Yeah. The idea that we don't need borders because borders separate people and borders create distinctions. Mm -hmm. Well, there is a reality of yeah. distinctions. Things really are different. And America is different from Mexico. Mm -hmm. America is different from the Islamic world. Mm -hmm. America is different from so many other things. Right, and right. those borders matter. Right. And if we simply become everything else, we are blending into nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So what was he talking about back then? So Chesterton is making the point that the lines, the distinctions, the borders yeah. matter. But what borders, is, or not borders, what breaking of borders was he talking about back then? Well, I think he was referring specifically to, to the modern mania 
of breaking down all distinctions, mm -hmm. like the distinction between human beings mm -hmm. and the animal world mm -hmm. or the natural world. Like H.G. Wells, like right? as H.G. Wells yeah. was, was yeah. trying to do. And that the entire evolutionary viewpoint is trying to do. Mm -hmm. There is no distinction between man and the rest of the world. Right. We are simply nature as evolved. Yeah. And there is no distinction to be made. Right. This flies in the face of all of human history right. as it is outlined in common sense. Right, the right. Greeks understood this. The Greeks made a distinction. Man is an animal, right. but man is a rational animal. And that distinction is no small distinction. Yeah. It is an earth-shattering distinction. Mm -hmm. That rationality distinguishes us from the animals with a border that is unbridgeable. It is an immense exactly. border. It is not a little gap. Right. It is a chasm. That's right. That seems almost unbridgeable. Mm -hmm. And we forget that. Mm -hmm. And so, in many which is ways, what he was trying one, to, which is what he tried to get at in the first three, well, in right. the first three chapters, and even in the introduction. Right. So this book, mm -hmm. The Everlasting Man, falls apart into two parts. Yeah. On the creature called man mm -hmm. and on the man called Christ. Right. And likewise, this conclusion falls apart into those same two distinctions. Right. And when we blur out the lines, yeah. which is what we talked about in that first chapter, mm -hmm. we forget that the distinction between man and the rest of the natural world is not just a blur. Yeah. It is a radical distinction. Yeah. There is something seriously different between man right. and the rest of the world. Right, exactly. And, and this is something that I dealt with as a professor of philosophy, and it, it was an ongoing process. It took me a while to understand it, but I began to see that the scientific world, that the world in which we live, has been trying to erase that distinction with everything in them. Yeah. They've been trying to blur the distinction between human beings and the rest of well, the animal world just in like, such a way as to create a continuum between the two well, so that man is just an animal. But the Greeks themselves rejected that notion. And, and they're doing it. Now with male and female. <laughs> yes, exactly right. All of those natural yeah, they're boundaries. constantly trying to blur everything. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what Chesterton mm -hmm. has in mind here. Exactly. Okay, so Chesterton says he himself feels that he has failed mm -hmm. in this task, <laughs> in this book, because he said too many things. Yeah. <laughs> and so at the end of the book, he wants to return to the outline, mm -hmm. right? the clear distinctions. Right, right. And he says, I want to, for that reason, add these lines as a sort of summary in a concluding chapter. Mm -hmm. I do not believe that the past history, remember this is an outline of history right. that he's trying to give. He says, H.G. Wells failed to give an outline of history. Yeah. He gave all kinds of interesting information on history, but mm -hmm. he never gave an outline. Right. And he said, what I want to do is actually give you an outline, a basic structure to fill in. 
I add these lines as a sort of summary in a concluding chapter. I do not believe that the past is most truly pictured as a thing in which humanity merely fades away into nature, or civilization merely fades away into barbarism, or religion fades away into mythology. This is the Hegelian notion that everything is one thing, right. that there are no real distinctions to be made. But this is not the reality that human beings experience right. in the actual world of experience. Mm -hmm. In short, Chesterton says, I do not believe that the best way to produce an outline of history is to rub out the lines. Mm -hmm. And this is the modern mania that I began to see as an atheist professor of philosophy, that science is desperately mm -hmm. trying to rub out rub the lines out. Mm -hmm. between the human and the animal. Right. They are desperately trying to mm -hmm. do this, and yet the chasm remains. Right. Human beings are not animals. There is an almost supernatural aura mm -hmm. that separates the human from the animal. No matter how hard they try to bridge that distinction. Yeah. And Jordan Peterson himself makes the claim that we are all just a part of the natural world, that we've all evolved from that. So that doesn't fit our realistic view of experience. As Chesterton said in As the first Chesterton three chapters, not just here, but in the first three chapters. And yeah. also, I mean, <laughs> Jesus said in Psalm says, ye are gods. Yes. We're, we're like, we're images of God. Right. And this <laughs> precisely picks up on Chesterton's point. Right. 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 And it is Hegelian. This is the point that there is no radical distinction anywhere to be found. Mm -hmm. This is the Hegelian monism, that all is process and that all process is a matter of evolution, of constantly moving upward and better right. in the natural world without any introduction from the outside of a rational structure that is transcendent. Right. And it is one way of viewing the world. But it is a way that you have to buy into and accept that is external to human experience. Right. It is a metaphysic that you believe in. Yeah. It is not something that is a part of our immediate experience. And you've discussed the Hegelian view extensively yeah. in previous Christian atheist episodes yes. because some people have joined us of late. Right. That's and true. might not even know what you're talking about. Right. So yeah, if, if you're interested, go back to John's Hegel series. And we, you and I actually did a series on simplifying your Hegel series. <laughs> That's right. In our compromise. Right, right. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, 
You can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.